it is good to worship together, isn't it? But I wonder how often we actually think about the words that we sing. Just the other day, Izzy made me laugh because she said, Dad, why do we always encourage people to gather together in worship? And then we sing songs like, I worship you alone. I had to laugh and explain to her that we worship God alone as opposed to worship on our own. But it makes you think, you know, how much do we think about the words that we actually sing sometimes? She clearly does. I was talking to a friend recently about how great is our God. Is that a statement or a question? Are we saying, how great is our God? Or are we actually saying, how great is he? It is beyond question. You know, fortunately for us, scripture leaves us in absolutely no doubt from beginning to end. God has proclaimed to us, revealed about himself, the infinite greatness of God. And my one goal today is that you would go away without question as well in the infinite greatness of God. We're in a series on the Trinity where we're unpacking this one statement that we believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, identical in nature, equal in glory, and distinct in role. And up until now, we have focused more on that distinct in role. We've focused on the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we've done that very, very intentionally because in our sort of Western theological perspective, it's really easy to let the Trinity sort of collapse in on itself and say, we believe in one God that sort of wears different masks at times. Sometimes he's the Father and sometimes he's the Son and sometimes he's the Spirit. But throughout the history of the church, We have believed in one God as three distinct persons. And I hope that has been emphasized to you. But today we sort of move to focus in more on one God. And the things we'll talk about today are true of the Father and true of the Son and true of the Spirit. We focus on the infinite greatness of God and the things about God that no matter how much like Jesus we become, we will never fully become like ourselves. And there are a number of verses that I could have gone to today to uh, explain that. We'd have jumped around, but I really want us to base ourselves mainly in one passage. We're going to go to Isaiah 46, and there's a reason for that, because God never reveals his greatness in a vacuum. God always reveals himself to a particular people in a particular time, in a particular place. In Isaiah 46, Judah refuses to stop worshipping idols and God is going to discipline them. He's going to allow them to be invaded by Babylon and be carried off for a season to a foreign land. But ahead of time, before any of that happens, God knows exactly when and how he will bring them home. The season they were about to go through would be terrifying. But they were about to discover just how worthless the idols they had believed in really were and just how infinitely great God is. And this is so important because you and I are in particular circumstances right now, whether globally, nationally or personally, there are troubling things that are circling round and we do not examine the greatness of God in a vacuum. Rather, in whatever is going on, my prayer today is that infinite greatness of God would be a lens through which we might perceive the world we live in and might be a foundation upon which we live. Would you join me 
in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the infinite greatness of God. Help me, Lord, to express it. Help me, Lord, to get off whatever it is you have laid on my heart. And God, I pray that by your spirit today, you'd minister deeply to us and reveal things for the first time to us that might enable us to live differently from this moment on, we pray in your wonderful name. Give me a big amen. I didn't hear you, but never mind. Isaiah 46. We're just going to go two verses, verse 9 and verse 10. Let's read verse 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. The first attribute of God that I want you to see today is that our God is eternal. Notice that the word God here appears twice, but is a translation of different Hebrew words. The first one is the word El. It's the name for the transcendent God, the God above all things. But the second word is the word, the name for God, Elohim. We discovered this word in verse in, in week one of this series. It means the creator, the sustainer, the king of the universe and the judge of all the earth. It means the one who brought creation, brought time and space and matter into being all at once is the beginner of that. He sits outside of it and therefore he is outside of time itself. He is eternal. If you go to Psalm 90, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. David, no, Moses, the psalmist is, is trying to think of how how long lasting God is. And he thinks, what is the longest lasting thing I can imagine? It's the mountains. They've always been there and surely they are always will always be there. But actually, God, you are before the mountains and you will endure beyond the mountains. You are outside of time and you are equally fully present in every moment of time. It meant that God could reveal himself to Moses simply as the great I am. He just is. It means that God is not subject to time. He is not affected by circumstances. He does not ebb and flow. He does not change or grow. God just is. He is eternal. And this is important for where we now go because he is all eternal and he is also all knowing. Verse 10 says this, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. A funny thing happened in the office last year. I think probably the funniest, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a work context. Jenny tried to sneak up to Jamie, who was minding his own business, and surprise him. But in doing so, Jamie jumped so much that it made Jenny jump. Like the jumper became the jumpy. It would have gone viral if somebody had had a camera. I can't believe nobody filmed it. But God is lame at that sort of game. He is incapable of being surprised. You can't make him jump. Don't ever organize a surprise party for God. It is a complete waste of time. He knows you're coming. Surprise! What a waste of time that was. 
He knew you were coming. From ancient times in the past, God sees the entire sweep of human history laid out before him. And he is able to describe it in intimate technicolor with absolute precision. He knows the end from the beginning. If you know about the surrounding context of this passage in Isaiah 46 that we've read, you'll know that Isaiah is talking before this invasion happens, before they're carried off into exile. Yet he names Cyrus as the future foreign king that he will raise up to bring his people home. God knows the end from the beginning. He could declare with absolute clarity what was going to come. And so the eternal nature of God and the all-knowing nature of God means that he can be trusted. His counsel and his guidance are always true. There is nothing that can happen tomorrow that will ever call into question anything God has ever said. He has already accounted all of the permutations and possibilities. He needs no mathematical model. He needs no 1pm briefing. The news is completely wasted on God. He knows the end from the beginning. Can I say very gently, this means that God can be trusted and you need not fear or worry about tomorrow. You know, as I read the news and I, and I listen to people around me and conversations around me, I'm unnerved by the number of people who are making decisions based on fear and worry. And can I say very gently that as a follower of Jesus, fear and worry should never be the basis of the decisions that we make. And I know it's a present reality at times, right? I know just we live in a real world and, and we can slip up into that. But when we believe in the infinite greatness of God, when we believe in eternal God who knows the end from the beginning, we need not fear. We can make decisions based on faith, not on fear, because we serve an infinite God who knows the end from the beginning. Related to that is thirdly that God is all powerful. Verse 10 says, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I've never done it, but I want you to imagine you're going whitewater rafting. You are plowing down a river and there's a bend ahead that you can't see around. And some wise guy on the bank shouts out, hey, be careful around the bend. There's this giant waterfall, impending doom is around the corner. Good luck. Like, what good is that? We're speeding towards inevitable doom. And the one who knows what is coming cannot help us. What good is that? But this is not our God. God says to Judah, I know what is ahead. I know what you're going to go through, but my purpose will stand. It's too big for you and it's uncertain for you, but my hand is on the tiller. I'm steering the ship. I have got this under control. You know, maybe you're watching the news right now and the thing that's keeping you up at night is the threat of nuclear war. Can I encourage you that God not only knows the future, but is in control of it. Nobody can even lift a finger without he 
his say so. And he is working out his purposes for our good. He's the one who is bringing human history to a close. And he knows when he'll do that. He is coming to rule and reign. And nobody can take that power away from him. Our times are in his hands. He not only knows the end from the beginning, but he's perfectly in control of it. Eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful. But there's one more that this passage doesn't get to. And so we're going to sneak off into Psalm 139. You can turn there if you like. To discover that our God is also everywhere present. David, this time, definitely David, not Moses, writes this, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David tries to imagine all conceivable places that he could go where God is not. He goes, what is the highest place I can think of? The heavens, oh, you're there. What's the deepest depths? Oh, you're there. And if you're here and you're here, you are everywhere in between. What's the furthest I could travel? Oh, the far side of the sea. Oh, you're there too. Well, the dark, that's pretty dark. I could hide there. Oh no, even the darkness is as light to you. You see me there high and low depth and darkness there is nowhere you can go where God will not be and notice notice the context of what David is talking about here he's saying um, even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast David knows times when he doesn't know what to do David knows times where he feels unsafe. David knows times where he feels alone. But he came to the conclusion, there is nowhere I could ever go. There's no situation I could ever be in where God is not near and able to guide me and able to keep me safe. How great is our God? Eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful and everywhere present could any expression of God be greater than the infinite greatness of God I want to suggest there is an expression of God that is even greater still you see we rebelled against God we have gone our own way rather than trusting the all-knowing and all-powerful God we decided we're going to trust ourselves we're going to believe that we know best. We became separate from God and it brought death into the world. But rather than separate himself from God, in all, from us from God in all eternity, God had a plan. The one who is eternal stepped into time and took on human flesh. The one who knows all things took on, uh, became a baby who knew nothing. The one who is all powerful became the weakest of the week the one who is everywhere present confined himself to one place at one time he walked the roads we walked until that road led to a roman cross where the infinite ever alive god 
succumb to the most human of experiences, death itself, not for himself, but for us. What could be greater than the infinite greatness of God? The answer is that the infinite took on a finite nature in the person of Jesus, not for himself, but for us. This is how great God is. And having died for sin and risen again, he invites us to trust him and follow him, trusting in the risen Savior who gives us life. Who is like him? Who is so capable of your trust? Your understanding? Your perception? Who else knows the end from the beginning? Who else is able to say in all eternity, my purposes will stand? Who else stands on the other side of death and says, you can trust me even here? <sighs> the infinite greatness of God. I wonder today, have you trusted him? H have you said... Not my will, not my ways, not my perception, but I entrust my life and my direction, my ambitions to you. I want to invite you for the first time today, if you've never believed in Jesus, to say, I'll put my trust in you. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to trust you every step of my life from here on. But I, as I lead us in a prayer where you can do just that just give you some words that help you give expression to that i wonder if maybe you've uh, maybe you're realizing right now I, i've believed in jesus i've followed jesus but man my decisions are made out of worry man i'm afraid man there are things keeping me up at night man the situations going on in my world right now are just too big for me can I invite you to pray this prayer too and put your life in the hands of the infinitely great God who has done something even greater for you? Should we pray? Father, we declare today the infinite greatness of God. We thank you that though our sin has separated us from you in all eternity, you chose to send Jesus, your one and only son, to die in our place. Right now we receive your forgiveness. Right now we thank you for the hope of eternal life. Right now we thank you for the presence of your spirit in our lives. To lead us in a brand new way. Let fear be far off. Let worry be gone from our lives. And let us live every day walking by faith trusting our lives to the infinite greatness of God. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're choosing to follow Jesus for the first time today, let the person next to you know if you don't if you're not if you're on your own today and, and not with somebody, let us know. We'd love to celebrate with you and help you begin this journey of following Jesus. But if you're praying this for the hundredth time, let us know too. Or make sure you, you, you gather with the people around you right now. Or reach out to a friend and just say, this is the response that I, I've been in fear and I want to I walk in faith. Pray with me. Keep me accountable to that. Check in with me. Right now we're going to share 
communion. Simple symbols, bread and juice that remind us of the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus as the, as the infinite became finite and died in our place and was raised to life again. And I want you to hold these symbols today and worship. Hold these symbols today and pray together. Reflect together on the infinite greatness of God and determine today to trust him afresh.